Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you and praise you for being an awesome God. I know that your presence is here today. I pray that you would mold us and shape us and move us, Father, to be open to your word. I pray, Father, especially right now for Chris and Michelle and for Russell, Father, to go down and have a safe trip, put angels about their vehicle, keep things up and running, and, and Father, I pray that they would return here safely. I thank you, Father, for all the things that are happening, and I pray that uh, you would protect Chris as he could be uh, involved in dangerous situations. And I just pray that your angels would be there and make this to be a joyous week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Lucky I didn't get the oil out put it on your head. <laughs> I love putting oil on people's heads. We had Tim Wilson was getting ordained. And I mean, I took my hand and it was cup full of oil. Splat! It was like, he's like, it's like, Dave, Dave. It's like, so be thankful you didn't get the oil. And uh, we got a couple bottles of it here. You might as well use it, right? <laughs> God's good. All right, amen. Um, as we've been looking at Solomon here, we watched him uh, uh, as we ended a couple weeks ago. We took some time <laughs> off for Christmas. And um, we, we were watching Solomon uh, uh, having to, a, a tough job following in his father's footsteps. David was a, a, a mighty king. He did an awful lot of things right. He did some things wrong, and uh, he did some things right, though. And it was interesting to see Solomon, when he takes over for his father, his request of God was, you know, uh, um, uh, I need to know how to come in and come out, was what he said. How do I conduct myself as a king? How do, where do I stand? What do I say? How do I do things? And it's amazing, as we watch King Solomon rise up, God's got to bless him with wisdom to be the wisest man in the world. No one before him, no one after him has ever been as wise as Solomon. And yet we've watched then as Solomon has played the fool. And it's sad to see the wisest man in the world uh, uh, do things wrong. We, we understood as we read from Deuteronomy that there were things that Moses, he set up criteria for a king. And he said, you know, when you get a king, the king's forbidden to do three things. Uh, one of the things that he was forbidden to do was to multiply horses, to build up a big military and have his, his reliance in his military strength and, and stay away from multiplying horses. And then he said, stay away from multiplying gold. And if you're going to seek money and all these things, a king should not and is forbidden to multiply gold. And then thirdly, we watched where Solomon then also turns around as he's doing all three of these things. It was the women that got him. And as Solomon turns around, not to multiply wives as they do in Egypt, Solomon turns around and whew, he's got 700 wives and throw in 300 concubines. That's a thousand women. That's if you wanted to see a wife every uh, a different one every day. You could rotate them every three years. One of them, you know, you get your turn as a wife to come up and see your husband. How's, how's that? And, and you're like, wow. But he, as, as he did these things, uh, it, it, it turned his heart away from God. 
And we uh, read the, the last uh, beginning of chapter 11, and, and it dictates for us that the, the wives turned his heart away, and we said it was in Solomon's old age. Wow. Now, you could think of, you know, women turning your heart when you're 20 or 30 years old. I don't know, maybe when you're 70 or 80, your wife's affecting you that much. And yet, at that time, Solomon started to have his heart turn away, and God saw that, and God said, that's it. I'm ripping the kingdom out, uh, away from you. You're losing it. And he makes a strong point. We're going to read it a couple times today, where he's not going to take the whole kingdom away. He's going to tear it in part. One part goes to the south, if you would, and uh, we watch then the other 10 parts go up to the north. We're going to watch the 10 become Israel itself as a nation, and then down south is going to be called a nation called Judah, if you would. And you're going to watch two kings, and it's going to be divided, I think, for several hundred years until really about the time of Christ, if you would. So this is about 1,000 B.C., and we're now saying it's going to be a divided nation. It's going to be torn apart, ripped apart, and attacked. And, and the seeds are right here on why this is happening. And we've got to get a, a couple pieces of, of this information. I don't know about you. You guys ever sin? I, I, I've made some mistakes in my life. And, and, you know, it's weird being a born-again Christian pastor, read the Bible, blah, blah, blah. You know, you think you know everything and you should be fine. And there's times I go out and God says, don't do something. And I do it anyway. You blow up, you yell at somebody, you say something stupid, you do something stupid, you go someplace you know you're not supposed to go. And, you know, it's kind of weird when you do that as a born-again Christian. You wake up the next day. And you can almost say to yourself, well, I did it, and everything's fine. The sun still came up. You know, everything's all right. The world didn't fall off its axis. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not dead. And there is a tendency sometimes to have a feeling that I got away with it. I, I sinned, but nothing happened. You know, lightning didn't come down and strike me dead. But, you know, what happens is that as we walk in sin, is what happens to us is God doesn't come in and start smacking us, but what happens is that there is a, a wall, a hedge around us as Christians. And, 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 and what happens as we continue to the sin, the, the wall, the hedge, the protection deteriorates. And as that starts to deteriorate, all of a sudden, Satan starts to be able to come in and start ripping us to pieces. It's not God ripping us to pieces. It's just that God's allowing or... Matter of fact, it's, it's not even God allowing. It's that we have to, taken away our protection and the barrier of God in our lives. And, and, and as that starts to happen, wicked things start to happen around us. And what we're going to see here, and my thesis is rather simple, Solomon sins, right? And we're going to watch now where three adversaries, three enemies of Israel are being brought up outside the country. And, and it's amazing how when, when we, we fall away from the Lord, it's not an immediate thing, but things pop out outside of the perimeter around us, boiling and bubbling and waiting to come in and to attack us. And then it hits and we go, what, what, where did that come from? Well, you've been walking in sin and stupidity for quite a long time, Dave. Yeah, I know. It, it, you're paying the price. Ugh. And, 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 you know, you play with fire, you're going to get burned. And, and so if you would, we've watched then where, where Solomon starts this chapter, uh, 1 Kings chapter 11. We're going to pick up in verse 9. 
But we've seen quite clearly early on in the chapter where God is upset with the women that changed his hearts. And it says, verse 9, as kind of a little recap, it says, So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who appeared to him not once but twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Now the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, a guy named Hadad the Edomite. He was a descendant of the king of Edom. If we can recall, King David went in there and romped wickedly against the Edoms. The Edomites were the descendants of Esau. If you can recall, they were a neighboring country. They were kind of just on the other side of the the Dead Sea, not up around the Jordan area, but down south, if you would. They were a border country. And uh, David went in there and whomped on him pretty hard. We're going to hear about it where he's going to kill all the men. And uh, we're going to see some bitterness be raised up from this guy, Hadad, the Edomite. But verse 15, for it happened when David was in Edom and Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain after he had killed every male in Edom. It says in parentheses, because for six months Joab remained there with all Israel until he had cut down every male in Edom. So we're going to go in there and whomp on you in battle. Then we're going to hang out for six months and make sure everyone's dead. He says at that time, it says in verse 17, that Hadad had fled to go to Egypt. He and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him. Hadad was still a little child. And uh, then they arose from Midian and came to Paran, and they took men with them from Paran and came to Egypt, to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house, apportioned food for him, and gave him land. And Hadad uh, found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him as wife, the sister of his own wife, that is, the sister of Queen Tophanes. Hopefully that's pronounced something close. If not, that's the best I can do. He says, Then the sister of Tophanes bore him uh, Genubath, his son, whom uh, Tophanes weaned in Pharaoh's house. And Genubath was in Pharaoh's household among the sons of Pharaoh. So that when Hadad heard in Egypt that David rested with his fathers dead, and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, uh, let me depart that I may go to my own country. And then Pharaoh said, said to him, but, but you have lacked nothing with me, that suddenly you seek to go to your own country, you want to up and leave, I've been taking good care of you. So he answered, he says, nothing, but do not let me go, he says, but do let me go anyway. 
So here's this guy, uh, uh, Hadad. He's going to be an enemy that's raised up. He's going to be somebody after David went in and slaughtered all of his people. He's, he escaped and he's angry. He's got resentment, bitterness in his heart. And he's got one plan. He wants to go in and attack. And so if you would, outside the, the sphere of Solomon, here's somebody that, that is being born and raised. And now all of a sudden he's going to come in and strike and attack and get his revenge. And here is just a, a, a case of, of, we know the reason why Solomon was in sin with his wives and gold and horses and chariots and all that type of stuff. And God says, I'm tearing the kingdom away. And all of a sudden up comes other problems, start to crop up and raise up. I, I, I wonder where these things come from sometimes in my life. And then, and, and then as you see this, it's something that's not quickly in my view but it's from outside, and then it starts to be brought into that circle, if you would. We hear then of a second character. It says, uh, and God raised up another adversary against him. Rezin, the son of Elidah, who had fled from his lord, Hadad-Ezer, king of Zobah. I pronounced it better the first time in the first service. So he gathered men to him and became captain over a band of raiders. He says, when David killed those of Zobah and the rest of the, uh, and they went to Damascus and dwelt there and reigned in Damascus. He was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon. And in parentheses, it says, besides the trouble that Hadad caused, that uh, it says, and he abhorred or hated Israel and he reigned over Syria. So Syria is uh, across the Jordan River, if you would, a bordering nation, large, Damascus, and there he has a, a place of refuge and solace, and he's another enemy of Israel, propping up, and he's not going away. Verse 26, he says, Then Solomon's servant, here's this guy, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. He's going to be the big hitter that's going to cause some problems. And... Uh, he says he's an Ephraimite from Zerada, whose mother name was Zerah, a, a widow, also rebelled against the king. And this is what caused him, interesting, to rebel against the king. He said Solomon had built the Milo and repaired the damages to the city of David, his father. Wow. So this guy is going to be Jewish, I would imagine, He's going to turn around and he's upset. He's got an axe to grind. And he's really upset at, at, at King Solomon for doing what? For building a Milo. Now you go, what's a Milo? Well, uh, a Milo is a, a, a citadel. It's, a, it's a, a, a reinforced fortress, if you would, that he's now installed as uh, 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 you know, part of the, the, the outside building of the temple in Jerusalem. Not necessarily the temple, but at least the city. And you think, well, that's a little weird because now Solomon, what he's doing is he's making it not so welcoming, if you would. It's not so, uh, uh, please come into the city of peace and the city of brotherly love. Come on in. No, it, it would be like if you came to church on Sunday and um, we have a machine gun nest up on the roof. And as soon as you get out of your car, we're scoping you out and we're looking at you, checking out who you are. And he says, wow, man, I had machine guns pointing at me just to come to church. What's, what's going on here? I don't feel the warm fuzzies when I, when I come in. 
and, and, and you're going, and, and that's what he's upset about. He's going, he's going Solomon, you, you're turning the Jerusalem into a city of war. You're putting in all these reinforcements. What about trusting in God to take care of God's city, you know? And, 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 and it upset him. It, it tweaked him to the point that he's like, I can't handle this. I'm rebelling against the king. He had an ax to grind. I find that interesting. He says, he says, the man, verse 28, Jeroboam, he was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, he made him the officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. Now, isn't that interesting? Solomon sees talent. He sees that he's industrious. He wants to go someplace. He's got a mind that's thinking. And he starts promoting him up the ranks and says, I want to use a guy like this. Well, here he is. He's in God's kingdom, I guess. He's working away. He's probably got something that upset him about the Milo. And he says, now, verse 29, he says, Now it happened at that time, uh, when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, <coughs> that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite met him on the way. So he's, I don't know, he's out there walking around, he's out of town, and uh, up comes a prophet to him. Uh, we don't know anything about this prophet. This is the first time we're hearing about him. He's going to come up and he's going he's to um, uh, uh, introduce himself and have a word to give to Jeroboam. He says, uh, uh, middle of verse 29, and he had clothed himself with a new garment, the prophet did, and the two were alone in the field. And then Ahijah took hold of this new garment, new coat that he had, uh, that was on him, and he tore it into 12 pieces. Nice new jacket, rip it, shred it, tear it up. And he said to Jeroboam, he goes, I got a word for you. He goes, take for yourself 10 pieces. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give 10 tribes to you. But, in parentheses, but he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. But because they have forsaken me and worshipped the Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Malcolm, the god of the people of Ammon. We described all those last uh, couple weeks ago in detail. You can get the tape if you like. And have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments as did his father David. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand because I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you, ten tribes." And to his son I will give one tribe, that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. So I will take you, and you shall reign over all your heart desires, and you shall be king over Israel. And then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways, and do what is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house, as for I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. Wow. And I will uh, uh, afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. 
Solomon, and it seems weird not a place, therefore sought to kill Jeroboam. <laughs> so I don't know. It doesn't tell you how Solomon heard about it. Solomon figured it out. Solomon heard about this prophecy, and the first thing out of his mind is, I got to go kill the guy. That's what we do with competition. Kill him. He ain't taking over for me. I'm not going to have this happen. Solomon therefore sought to kill him, kill Jeroboam. But Jeroboam arose and he fled to where? Egypt. Hey, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon, all that he did in his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? Question mark. Answer, probably we don't have the book. It's lost. And the period that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. Good long stay at king. And Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. And then we see this other character, Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. So we're watching a succession of kings, if you would. We've seen King Saul. We went through his whole life. And then we watched David being raised up. And now we've seen Solomon. And now we go to the next king, which is going to be King Rehoboam. And uh, if you would, you think of there's a Rehoboam, Ray, we can call him. And there's a Jeroboam, Jerry, we can call him, if you like. So we're going to watch a little competition between Ray and Jerry. Ray being uh, uh, the son of Solomon, heir to the throne. And then Jerry, Jeroboam, is going to be the character that uh, is going to uh, uh, take over and rebuild Israel up to the north. So in a certain sense, we're going to watch that the kingdom is going to be divided. So if you could put yourself back into... Uh, 1776, if you would, if we could have, uh, we had 13 colonies, and I know Florida wasn't one of them, uh, but we could pretend, if you would, that it would be like saying, well, when there's 13 colonies, we're going to separate United States into two parts. We'll have Florida to the south, and then the rest of the United States up to the north. And if you would, it'd be two separate countries, two separate north and south, east and west, or whatever you'd have it. And, and you're watching where it's going to be Judah to the south. That's what it's going to be called. There's a king of Judah. And then there's Israel to the north, the ten tribes. And you're going to watch a king of Israel rise up. And we're going to see dual kings uh, starting to compete and fight and go through a few hundred years of all this mic-mash stuff going on. But this is the inception of it, if you would. And, and the idea is, is that Jeroboam is being told by the prophet, God is instituting the division of the nations, right? So we can hear a lot of stuff and we can think, well, this is because of this and this and this, but you got to understand, we know the truth. Solomon walked away from God. God says, I told you to be faithful. He failed to be faithful. The wisest man in the world has played a fool. And now all of a sudden we can sit down there and see that God is ripping it apart and he wants it divided. And as we said, it's got to stay divided until we see Israel return really back after Syria uh, uh, has attacked it. And uh, uh, about 100 years before Christ, it finally comes back to being something resembling whatever. So Rehoboam to the south, Jeroboam up to the north. But this is how it breaks apart. And we're going to read a few verses out of chapter 12. Come on, we're tough. We can handle it. And he says, And Rehoboam went to Shechem, up north, if you would, into Israel. For all Israel at this point had gone to Shechem to make him king. 
So it's his coronation day, if you would. They're going to make him to be the official successor to his father. And so it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, and it says in parentheses, he was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt. Okay. He says that he sent and he called him. And then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying... So Jeroboam's representing the group of people. Rehoboam's got to be, you know, trying to be coronated, if you would. And he says, I only got one question for you, verse 4. And he says, your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. He's making a simple deal. He's like, okay. We lived and survived through Solomon, okay? 40 years of, of construction. It was build this city, build this house, build this temple, build this. And he goes, we've had 40 years of one long construction project. Hey, Rehoboam, you're taking over for your dad. Can we cut back on the construction? We're tired. There's two seasons here. There's winter and then there's construction. And, and, and he goes, and, and I don't think the winters are long in Israel, haven't been there, but I would imagine that the, the winters are short and construction is long. And they're saying, are you going to back down a little bit off of this? If, if you can be kind to us, we'll serve you. That, that's the deal. And so he's going to take that and he's going to say, hey, I don't want to put a yoke on you. The yoke is what oxen are carrying and what they're pulling. And they're saying, hey, our, our yoke is, is heavy. Can, can you lighten it? And he turns around, he wants to think about it. And it says, verse 5, so he said to them, Depart for three days, and then come back to me. And the people departed. So Rehoboam is going to say, hmm, um, let me think about it for three days. So he says, verse 6, the king, then King Rehoboam consulted, here's the term, the elders who stood before his father, older men, Solomon, while he was still a lid. And he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him saying, well, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. Deal gently with them. But no, old Rehoboam, it says he rejected the advice which the elders had given him. And he consulted the young men who had grown up with him, his what we'd call peers, who stood before him. And he said to them, oh, well, what advice do you give? How should we answer the people who have spoken to me saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him, they spoke to him saying, Thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, Eh, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. I got more, more, more in me than my dad had in his, his being in my pinky. You're going to see some fighting. And, and now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, <laughs> I'm going to add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I'm going to chastise you with scourges. So a whip is just the end of a leather, right? A, a, a scourge is going to have a piece of broken glass, a piece of lead, something that's going to rip into the back and tear something apart. Much more vicious, if you would. 
for hurting somebody. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, showed up as the king had directed, saying, come back to me the third day. And uh, then the king answered the people roughly, and he rejected the advice which the elders had given him. And he spoke to them accordingly to the advice of the young men, saying, My, my father made your yoke heavy, but I'm going to add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I'm going to chastise you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people. For the turn of events was from the Lord, that he might fulfill his word which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah, the Shilonite to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Isn't it weird that God can make you stupid in order to punish you? Isn't that weird? Verse 16, Now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. David was, you know, Jesse was David's father. He says, to your tents, O Israel now, see to your own house, O David. And so Israel departed to their tents. They left this king and said, we're not part of you. But Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. And then King Rehoboam sent this poor guy, Adoram, who was in charge of the revenue. That's a fancy dancy way of saying he's a tax collector. But all Israel, the people up north, they stoned him with stones, and he died. Knock on the door, collecting. Shut up. <laughs> Go away. They killed him. Wow, that's a, that's a strong no, huh? Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariots in haste to flee to Jerusalem. He's running back home with his tail tucked between his legs. And, uh, and then King Rehoboam sent to Adoram. Oh, I'm sorry, we read all that. And so Israel had been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. In the last verse, now it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back, that uh, they sent for him and called him to the congregation. They made him king over all Israel. And there was none who followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. So we're now watching where the kingdom is divided, but it's not necessarily a, a God thing or because of a sin thing. It's now Rehoboam who's taking over, is making his own stupid mistakes. No other way to say it. And, uh, and he had a chance, and he has made a critical mistake. Of He had a chance to take advice from elders. And uh, he's rejected the wisdom of the elders, and he's now going to listen to his peers, his friends, and take on bad advice and divide up the kingdom. And the idea would be that if he were to turn around and um, turn around and, and listen to the voice of the elders, he could have kept the kingdom together. It could have not happened this way. But he was foolish. And one thing that I have learned over the last few years, it's a very strange principle, that elders are older and there is something to be said for an aged, experienced, wise man. And, and there is times in my life where a true elder, and I believe that our church has a couple of true elders, and an elder is somebody that is going to have a spiritual vision for the church. We understand that there's kind of a breakdown, if you would. There's deacons sometimes that are called that. And a deacon is somebody who's a, a servant. He's here to work. He's here to do and perform tasks. 
And a lot of people can empty the trash and do the, the job of a deacon, if you would. We don't particularly give out that title, but there are many people that fulfill that role, men and women. But an elder is somebody who's supposed to have vision. He's supposed to be looking out for the long term of the church. He's supposed to be watching. And really, an elder to me is one of the few people that I would take correction from. Now, a lot of people offer me correction. Uh, I get it a lot. And it sometimes goes in one ear and out the other. But I have a tendency when an elder speaks to me and says, Dave, we need to sit down and talk. I think that there's a problem over here. I emphatically, I mechanically, I do everything perfectly and I never argue with anything. Because you know why? I have a couple elders in this church that are so wise, so gentle, and so kind. They never, hardly ever, tell me anything to do. I go, wow. They're watching, and if you notice, our church is very run on a very systematic, organized, simple process that's very repeatable. And if there's anything they ever need to get done, Dave, you know, we got to change the color of the tile in the men's room. It's, it's irritating. I'd go, really? Wow, I never really thought of it, but if that's what needs to get done, let's do it. And I'd start doing it. I don't, you know, it, because it, if, if an elder is given enough leeway to know that he can make correction, then he's not going to be telling me every five minutes to make corrections. He's going to be saying, Dave, do what you need to do. But if I saw something wrong, I'd tell you. And then a good pastor or anybody would listen and say what's being said and done. And then the truth of the matter is, is there's lots of other people. We have assistant pastors in our church. And the goal of an assistant pastor, as far as I'm concerned, is somebody that I'm training to be able to replace me, to be able to become a pastor someday, and to function in that role. They're not here to correct me. I'm here to correct and to train them, if you would. And, and so uh, the truth is, though, is that we have some great assistant pastors here, and that if any of them ever told me anything that I needed to change, I would listen immediately and take correction, corrective ac actions. Because I don't think that there's an elder or an a assistant pastor in this church that would actually come up and say, well, I want you to change the tile in the bathroom because I don't like it and uh, I want to see you sweat. That's immature, and, and, and there's not a level of immaturity here. I think we have very, very mature pastors, and I think we have very, very mature people in all the key areas. If you think of our Sunday school department, uh, we have the Sombricks back there. They're unbelievable. If you knew half the things that they were doing, it's unbelievable how strong and how good and how, how generous they have been with our kids. If you understand our treasurer, if you understand our church secretary, if you understand what Chris goes through up here as a worship leader, it's unbelievable. You have to have those areas secure in a church. And we have very mature key people there that are critical to the function of what happens here. And, 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 and here, you're watching Rehoboam come in and he's got to go, I don't want to hear that. I, I want something that's going to tickle my ears, make me feel good. Yeah, I'm going to come in and threaten these people and crunch them down hard. I'm going to, I'm going to accelerate, my, my, accelerate my anger towards the people. And what happens? Push them all out the door. And that's, that's a young fool. That's all Rehoboam is, is a, is a young fool. He, he listened to bad advice. And, and, and what we want to think about in closing up the message here today is very simple. We need to get good, solid advice, you and I. And hopefully you can come to Pastor Dave and you could come to any of the pastors here and you're going to get a word of advice and, and you're going to get something hopefully even more important, and that's going to be prayer. And hopefully, uh, uh, it's a strange concept, but we believe on the laying on of hands. And, and we believe that, you know, as you come forward, 
come forward and says, I need prayer. You're going to have someone lay hands on you and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, we want the blood of Christ to be applied. And we're asking the Lord for you to do a miracle. We want you to touch this, this person. And I recognize that it's very hard sometimes for someone to do. Nearly impossible. And I remember when I first got saved back in California 30 years ago or whatever it was, you go, you go, I went to a small Bible study. There were four couples, and I was the ninth guy, if you would. I was definitely the odd man out. I was definitely, though, the Marine from the corner apartment <laughs> that all the beer cans and the loud music was coming from. And they sat down there. They loved me. They loved me. They taught the Bible. They never asked me anything. They never told me to change anything. But they would always sit down there, kick out the chair, and says, let us pray for you, Dave. And I'm telling you, I'm like, I don't need prayer, you know, whatever. And, and boy, a regiment of prayer and seeking the Lord, it changes things like you wouldn't imagine. And I can't recommend that enough. But that's good godly counsel through the presence of the Holy Spirit. But what you can get, and if you don't like, you know, Pastor Dave and whatnot, what you have is the best counsel in the world in God's Word. And I would highly recommend, it being the first of the year, that you would challenge yourself to read through the Bible in a year. And I've done it uh, 15, 20 times. And, 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 and I can only tell you that as you do that, you are so enriched and you're so blessed and God starts to change you. And you're getting advice straight from the horse's mouth, if you would, straight from the word of God, the Holy Spirit inspired, and it changes things. And, and that can be the best mature counsel you can get. And honestly, if you were to take some time and say, I want to read through the Bible this year, dedicate yourself to spending about 20 minutes a day is all it takes, read about two and a half, three chapters, you'll cover the whole entire Bible in one year. And, and that's the best advice money can buy, is that you being understanding and, and able to know what's going on. And if you'd like, you know, if you can go to the daily bread out there, we give them away, they have through the Bible readings in it. If you like, we also have our own Calvary Chapel through the Bible. You check off the box every day as you go through it. You get a little bit ahead, a little bit behind, and you can do that. And in all honesty, that's your best counsel you're going to get. And don't ignore the counsel of the ages. The Bible's very old. It's very good. It's very thorough. It's proven. And here you're just watching here to take, I just want to present it to the, to the congregation to say, take this year and make the most of it. You know, the way things are going in the world, it could be our last year. And, um, and, and, and draw near to the Lord. Listen to what he says. Read his word. Meditate on it, right? That's that's the first psalm, is to meditate on the, the word of the Lord. You'll be strengthened like a tree that's by the, the river. And if not, you're like the tree that's out in the desert being dried up and half dead. And so it's, it's, a, it's a simple thing to have and, uh, uh, and to do and, and not to make the foolish mistake of Rehoboam, who turned around and rejected the counsel of the seniors to only find his own folly, if you would. And, and as we see that the further you walk away from the Lord, the barrier, the shield, the hedge about you, it, it, it deteriorates. And something that strengthens that is going to be a, a, a daily time of devotions in God's word. And I can, I can only pound that so many times, but uh, I would hope and pray some of you guys make that decision. Amen? Amen. Why don't we uh, stand and close in prayer? How's that? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this congregation. They have been such a blessing to me over the years. I thank you that there is a spirit of love 
and, and compassion on one another in this room. And I pray, Father, for your Holy Spirit to enrich us, to develop us, and to train us. Father, help us to seek your counsel through prayer, through your word, and that we, Father, would not turn back the ancient of days, the uh, picture of you, our Father, uh, uh, but we would yield to that, Father. Strengthen us, Father. Protect us and keep us strong. Father, I thank you for each and every one here, and I pray that today would be a day of change in our lives to be molded and shaped in the image of your Son, Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.